the last podcast that we did we did we it started off with okay I'm recording and then you were like was I like 80 12 yes yeah I didn't even just listen to that part of the podcast did I just remember not? that's that's like the only part I that's the only part I remember of the podcast was me being like for the tape <laughs> Do you know yeah. the pressure the pressure I feel right now is that you know when a singer comes out with an album and then their second album isn't as good <laughs> I just I'm I'm worrying about the expectations then I'm thinking I really need to like Adele this and just get better and better <laughs> you know <laughs> I think you might be overthinking this this is a podcast but sure I know. Oh. <laughs> hi everyone welcome back to the 21 and sensory podcast with me Emily on today's show I have a very special guest who we last heard from in episode 35 and it is my sister Hello everyone. <laughs> and yeah, so this this actually is going to be episode 80. Like oh, 80. No. I know, right? And you were first when I say first on, that was the only time you were on, but you were on episode 35. Wow, look at how far we've come. I know. That's that lot, was a long a time ago. Podcasts. I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so the last time it's, it feels weird saying the last time we spoke to you, I speak to you more regularly than just via this podcast. Podcast 35, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last time I spoke um, to you, podcast 35. Um, which, that was April 2021, and I've definitely spoken to you since uh, then. <laughs> I'm not just checking in now. I thought it'd be nice to have you back on because, obviously, it's been a while, but I feel like it'd be interesting to hear about your career and were you... You'd already graduated, hadn't you? Yeah, I think I had my degree in primary education. Yeah, um, and then you were working at a local kind of mainstream primary school to where you were living at the time. Yeah, um, that was my first job. Yeah, so things have changed since then. So that was 2021. And I think we last spoke to you about, you were talking about like the pandemic and um, like teaching online and stuff and how like weird that was. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe we could start from, like, picking up from where we left off, kind of. Yeah, okay, um, cool. So how long were you at that school and what made you move on? Yeah, so I think I was at that primary school for three years. So I taught Key Stage 1, so that's quite young children. So um, age five and six, and I did um yeah a couple of years in year one and then I did year two getting them ready for their sats and it was it was perfect first job into teaching I loved my class and it yeah it was a really good experience I loved it and I think also as I'd as we did that podcast after then I also decided that I wanted to start studying a part-time master's so mm-hmm. um as it's part-time alongside teaching I'd do it in the evenings um once a week and it would be three years long, which at the time felt like such a long time. But three years later, I've just finished, which is very exciting. Um, so, yeah, so if I talk about the job and then I'll maybe talk about the master's afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I did uh, mainstream primary school for three years and then kind of felt that in my class, I had a lot of children with lots of additional needs that the school just couldn't cater for. And I just kind of felt it wasn't really a school that I felt very aligned with anymore and I kind of wanted to do more to help the children with special educational needs um and so yeah I kind of started to look around at different 
avenues, looking at kind of schools for children with autism um, or different provisions and ended up going into a provision for children with extreme trauma. Um, So yeah, spent the last year and a half working in a school for children with trauma and it's quite, it was quite a tough job. It was very uh, extreme behaviours, but very, what kind of drew me to the job was it's very child-centred so children's mental health first lesson second if if your child's having a bad day stop the lesson play a game kind of get back down on a level and kind of get that smile back on their face like the lesson comes after that and I, I really liked that about, about the job and um yeah kind of looking back at mainstream now I'm not sure I'd go back into a mainstream school just because they're so I think I'm, I might have spoken about in the last podcast it's just very data-driven so very kind of exam results. Are you ticking this box? Are you ticking that box? And it just wasn't the part of the job I enjoyed anymore. I really didn't like that. I just loved the teaching part and the teaching I was finding harder to do with all the expectations. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of teachers leaving at the moment. So I see why. Do you think when you were working in the mainstream school, yeah. did you think your next job wouldn't be in mainstream? Like were you put off from being in mainstream or is it now when you look back, you're like, wasn't for me I think I always knew going into my educate like my education course that I wanted to work with children with more special educational needs as opposed to kind of mainstream children and I'm so glad I started off there but it was also by the end of it, it just really showed me that that wasn't the job for me that wasn't why I went into teaching I didn't go to teach a class full of children and ask them to sit down and cross their legs all day and Mm-hmm. Now go and sit at your desk and do this piece of writing for an hour. I just felt like I really wanted to help those children. I, I really enjoyed helping the children in my class that needed kind of um, different ways of learning, different ways of me teaching them. Um, so yeah, it just felt natural that it would I would switch it up and find a different provision to join after the mainstream mm-hmm. school. And did you feel like when you were in mainstream school like did did you feel like you had to start your career in a mainstream school in order to then kind of specialize absolutely I think something that I've written about in my dissertation for my master's is there's just no such limited training for teachers to become special needs teachers um I think on my university course we had one lecture so what like one hour and three full-time years of the course on Mm -hmm. how to teach children with additional needs um and you could try and get a placement in a school in a special educational needs school but it it was really kind of rare that you'd be able to get get that placement so yeah I don't know I think I think that's awful that there's no like no specific thing you can go out and get unless you go on your own accord you pay for a course yourself and so yeah. I think everyone's first school is mainstream. And the other thing is a lot of special needs schools, rightfully so, are saying you need experience before you start. But my problem was, how do I get that experience? I can't get that experience. And a lot of people were saying to me, well, like, try and volunteer. Try and volunteer with children with special needs. And I was like, I'm mm-hmm. a full-time teacher. Like, when do, when do you think I can volunteer? Because I could volunteer in, like, the holidays and things, but, like, that was the only break I was getting. And so yeah, the only option really was to go into mainstream school, but I think, yeah, they don't do enough to help teachers get into a special educational needs school. Mm-hmm. Mm. And was that that one hour that you said was that on your, um, like degree course or was that on your masters? 
yeah, that was on my first degree course, my primary education course. That was all teachers learning to all all students learning to become teachers had one hour of training. And, and I mean, when I went to primary school, I think there was one child in a class of sixty with kind of a diagnosed special educational need. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you've got maybe three, four, five children with additional needs in your class alongside other things like children having English as an additional language or yeah so I think that that is something that should change you know also that was something you came up not came up against but you had to adapt to a lot wasn't it was English as a second or additional like language and learning how to communicate with children that had just arrived in the UK like must be really scary for them yeah absolutely I think that was something I had no training on whatsoever I really wasn't prepared and I had one child join me in my first year of teaching he was a gorgeous child and he'd just come from China and he didn't know a word of English and he came into the class and like it's just baffling he just came and sat sat in in the class he does not know what a single person around him is saying he also never attended school today and I just he was really tearful no wonder bless him like he'd just come and his mum had also knitted him his school jumper. It Aww. was so, so sweet. Um, but actually, I did find that he had, like, we did, like, a cutting-out activity in the day, and he was amazing at it. Like, his fine motor skills, all the things that, like, he did know how to do, he was amazing at. But, yeah, I can't imagine going and sitting. I'm five years old and going sitting on a carpet with 30 other children and an adult at the front of the room, and I don't understand a word they're saying. Um, but, yeah, like, as a teacher, I also didn't know. This child was just brought in, and I was like, uh, I'm not sure how to communicate. You think I used a lot of visuals and hand gestures and a lot of modelling and things, but that was all. I just had to get crack on and do that myself and kind of be like, I don't know if this is the right way to do it. Yeah, because also them. you've got like I don't know, 29 other children to, you know, your focus can't just be on him or just be on a child that has some additional needs. Like you've got to try and balance it between that many small people <laughs> yeah and to be fair you made such amazing progress and I remember his mum coming to me at the end of the year and saying like how many friends he'd made and how amazing his English had been because he'd been kind of so swamped in it I do have that one funny story of that I had a girl that joined me in my like last year in that school and she'd come from um Syria I think and she didn't speak a word of English again similar didn't didn't know what was going on in school and she'd pick up phrases that the children would say so if the children said how are you she'd just repeat back how are you and that was a lot of the way she learned language was kind of repeating things she'd heard friends say and it was a few months in her English had really kind of taken off she came up to me and she was holding her water bottle and she just went water bottle and I was like oh no like she has learned from all these children at the time, I was working in a South London school and all the children would be like, oh, I'm going to go throw my water bottle. Has anyone seen my water bottle? And I just couldn't believe that this gorgeous <laughs> child, like, learning the English language was there like, water bottle? And I was like, no, it's water bottle. What are we doing to you? What have we done? <laughs> oh, bless her. Bless. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was but definitely a it does show that you, careful. It shows you how, uh, like, quickly they pick up on like key words and phrases yeah Yeah. and I kind of feel like that's why um if you're little like you like learn a second yeah you learn a second language that much not easier but I guess just maybe quicker 
Yeah, absolutely. It's like the most kind of pivotal stage in your life, isn't it? It's, it's the point when you can pick up, you can like learn the most, isn't it? Which is why it's a good time. Yeah. Started there, but it's a bit throwing them in at the deep end, isn't it? Just saying. It really is. Because if you were to say like, we went somewhere else as children and you just... Mm-hmm. They just seem to adapt so quickly, bless them. They do. <laughs> we had a staff meeting once and it was on kind of um, on languages and the Spanish teacher started the meeting by just speaking in Spanish and she'd come up to us and she'd ask us questions in Spanish and be like really like insistent and we were all just there like, I, I don't know what you're, I'm so, I don't know what she's saying to anyone. And it was just like, the idea was just to give you kind of like a little aspect of what it feels like to be those children sat in classes and it was like really like oh god I don't know what she's saying and yeah anyway yeah (laughs) so interesting and so you kind of what kind of made you decide to potentially start looking and move on from a mainstream and then I guess also that kind of relates in with you going on to study further as well Mm. Yeah, so I think it. I think I'd kind of got to the point where it served its purpose. I'd kind of done the key stage one. I knew that I didn't want to go. I didn't want to teach the older children, and I'd done key stage one for three years. So I was just going to keep going over what I'd previously done, and I was getting more children with additional needs, and I couldn't help them in the ways that I really wanted to, and I also didn't have the time to help them like all the expectations of the mainstream school meant I didn't have the time to like make the resources and things I really wanted to. So I started kind of having a look around at different jobs and knew I wanted to work with children with additional needs. Um, and at the time, I think my lecturer from my um, undergrad reached out and said, would you be interested in a master's? Which at the time I finished my primary education degree, they said you couldn't do a master's for a few years after you got into teaching because you kind of had to get some experience first. Oh. So I ne- had never really thought of it because I didn't think it was a possibility. But looked into it over lockdown, which was a little bit of a foolish idea because I had so much time on my hands then. <laughs> and then I went back <laughs> into a school and I didn't have much time. Um, so yeah, looked at different. I did want to do a master's in just special educational needs. But speaking to my lecturer, she was kind of like, why don't you get a wider perspective? And so I did a, a master's in the end that covered special educational needs, uh, children with English as an additional language, which was so helpful, and also leadership and management because it gives me lots of options for the future with that master's so um that's what I went into and yeah I did um over three years part-time in the evenings and did lots of different essays so I didn't like assignments on children with ADHD how the school system just does not serve children with ADHD how we ask children to come in line up sit down be quiet honestly baffling isn't it they're children um Mm -hmm. I do assignments on um children with additional um languages in the classroom children with um sensory processing disorder autism in the classroom but it was so interesting and listening to lots of different lectures was extremely helpful it was quite hard to do alongside the job so at what point did you change jobs it was during your master's or was it before your master's um i can't remember was during my master's was it one year in or two years in I think it was two years in because I had to, yeah, two years into my master's. I changed my job for my final year in September, okay. yeah, and did my dissertation in the in the school, mm-hmm. in the new school. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a good segue, and I'd kind of had a couple of years under my belt learning about different needs before I went into this school. 
And that mm. was another scary thing was that I did have to go into this special needs school for children with trauma with no experience of working with children like that before. And um, do you do you wish that you had I guess you couldn't get the experience, but do you wish you had been at least taught the theory? Absolutely. I think the I think as alongside special educational needs is social, emotional, mental health needs and a we didn't learn about that at all. And I don't know if that's something that's maybe changed. I did only do my course uh, five years ago, I think. But I didn't learn about children's social, emotional, mental health needs. And that is such a massive thing that, you know, all children have and how, how like, their mental health impacts their behaviour and things. Like, knowing what I know now from this school makes me think back to some children I've had and, yeah, it kind of, like, puts pieces of the puzzle back together a little bit there. And I kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, wish I'd had the experience. And a, a lot of teachers that I see come to interview for the job or take the job and stay for a couple of weeks and then go, you just think, oh, if you'd had the experience, if you knew what it was like here, you either wouldn't have taken the job or you'd have been better equipped to have kind of gone into the job, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of setting people up to fail a little bit of the time. Um, yeah. It's interesting yeah. what you say about mental health as well because obviously they're quite kind of it's quite comorbid conditions isn't it in terms of you know autism can go hand in hand with mental health issues or you know um certain trauma and things like there's so much overlap between mental health and these kind of diagnoses that you think that they would be covered a bit better oh yeah absolutely and that was something we weren't taught it was kind of like oh you might have children in your class with autism like that is the one additional need that you might come across you might have a child with dyslexia it was never like a you might have a child with a whole host of things you might have a child where you kind of need to get to the bottom of what's going on there yeah kind of thing you know um but also, yeah also didn't you have to like I don't know if this was in your original like mainstream school like you said you had to fill out like information for like support for a diagnosis which you had never done before no yeah I, I had to fill out lots of forms where children were getting diagnoses for ADHD and that teacher form was so long and it was so in-depth about their behaviours and things and you're kind of thinking I really do know this child but I do have 29 other children and I'm trying to fill in like everything and it's asking for comments how they do this and I'm more than happy to do that but I didn't have any training like at the time I think when I graduated I was 20, 21 yeah and I was like this 21 year old girl like filling out diagnosis forms for different Mm. and I know obviously you spend you spent all day every day with these children so you probably you know you were a good person to ask and you had the background training but you're right you weren't you you were just kind of doing your best yeah thrown in the deep end a little bit there yeah it's good experience but it just seems like the only way you can get experience is by just being given it and not knowing what you're doing yeah which when it comes to children is a bit worrying I think yeah because of all the kind of safeguarding stuff. Um, mm. I guess it'd be good to talk a bit more about the kind of shift from mainstream to a more specialist setting. And I guess also maybe you could discuss the kind of how it became kind of more of a physical job rather than just like the job became more physical in itself. Yeah. You'll explain it better than I've said it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So um, I think I was looking around for jobs in 
um, special educational needs settings and this one job came up to work in a school for children with trauma and I kind of inquired and said like could I even work here I don't have any experience and they were like come in spend a day here we'll do the interview see how it goes and I went in and it was a very small school and it didn't have many children in it at the time and um, it was a chaotic day there were children like running around screaming and I was also told when I went into the interview they said to me like this is what your day is going to be like you are going to have children with extreme behavior you could have your hair pulled you could be pushed someone could punch you these children have got such awful trauma in their lives their only way to react because they're so young it was a primary school still their only way to react is is with violence so like just be prepared that this could be any kind of day you are free to go now you can leave right now if you want and I was so like well, what the hell wow if that's not like, a warning like... yeah I was like I'll see how I go um and I did like my lesson and there were a few but well little done blips. you for hanging for hanging on in there I like do you kind of think sometimes is that why I took the job because I was so like no I'll keep going thank you very much yeah <laughs> this is a challenge yeah and there were like a few funny moments in um, my interview lesson and children were kind of trying to throw things and I just kind of kept back to my teaching ways of like humor and and it went really well and I spent the day there and I loved the fact it was so child-centered it was very like do you know what your lesson's finished a bit early that's fine play some games do some relationship building with them um Mm -hmm. and there were they did lots of trips lessons were really short they were only kind of 30 40 minutes long so that you had their attention and you didn't overwhelm them there were lots of breaks um you played lots of games with them during the play times and things and I loved that so I think that's kind of why I went into it. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help children first. As much as I'm a teacher, I want to help the children first. And then the, the lessons, the learning, the teaching comes second. Like, I really just love the fact it was so child first, child, child-centered child learning. Um, so, yeah, I started and had a class of initially three children, which then went up. Um, and, yeah, I think... You also get taught restraint training, which is quite a, I guess it could be seen as controversial because nobody wants to kind of, as you say, like put your hands on children. However, the only reason we were doing it, we were trained in de-escalation techniques for behaviour. But at the end of the day, these children can be really violent and they can hurt each other really badly. They can hurt you, the teachers. So we were trained in ways to hold children just to remove them from like kind of unsafe environments and kind of help them calm down um also it was kind of like your arms like crossed or locked between like you and a colleague or something like it wasn't yeah when you said like hands on it almost you were almost trying not to use your hands and trying to kind of lock them in place is that what is that right yeah, and and we in we had like a two day training on on the restraints and and how there's so many different holds that that are not used. We do not use anything that like covers their chest, takes them to the ground, anything like that. Which which when you say kind of restraints, you kind of think, oh my goodness, like you're gonna hold this child against the wall. That's not what it is at all. It's kind of more of a like a looping of arms just to keep them safe and just give them a space to calm down because. If you just let a child keep going, they just become more disruptive and it just becomes a part of them that they think 
when I'm angry, I do this. I flip all the tables and I go and punch all the children. You're just kind of taking them away from that crazy space and giving them a space to just calm, reflect, and kind of get to the bottom of what caused that behaviour. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, as more time went on, there was more experience of some really extreme behaviours and um, there'd be days when it really wasn't safe because other things would be going on, maybe teachers were leaving or you'd be going on a school trip and the children would be nervous. And you were dealing kind of with a class full of children with trauma alongside children who also, on top of their trauma or alongside their trauma, have autism. Um, I had a couple of children with ADHD and it was a class full of children with so many needs, but so different. And it was hard to cater to all of them. And each other could set each other off and you didn't kind of know when the behaviour might happen sometimes. Um, So, yeah, it was it it was such um, an amazing experience. I've learnt so much from it. It was very, very physical and I would come home very, very tired. But um, I feel like especially when I started with the class that I had, we were making like really good kind of progress with them. And we did something called emotion coaching. So you kind of come down to the child's level and try and understand. Oh, I wonder if you're feeling angry because you don't like doing maths and things. And you'd actually start to see the children use that language. They'd go up to each other and they'd say, oh, I wonder if you don't want to do this lesson because you feel angry about what just happened when you were playing football. I, I get that that's really, really frustrating that you lost then. Like, I-, I wonder if that's why you're feeling angry. And like to see children using language like that, especially... With, with such awful trauma and you think oh, maybe mm. they're going home and using that um yeah like that was kind of the rewarding side of the job but yeah it was very physical very tiring mm. and I'm not and also, too sure any teacher could do it for too long yeah sounds like it and like also remember you being like you know it's really important to like build a relationship with them and get on the same level with them which I think for you was maybe easier than other teachers because you were younger and they kind of saw you as younger and more of a friend as well as a teacher kind of thing but also like you it'd be interesting to discuss the kind of attachment that they get to you which makes you know leaving hard or you not being in one day hard like there's almost two extremes of you're trying to get a good relationship with them and then you've got it and actually they're having attachment kind of um struggles yeah, and I do think the relationships you have with children are what's key to succeeding in the job. So I think I was on quite a good level with most of the children there, I feel like. I feel like I have I have good humour with children and like there was even one girl that loved doing like TikTok dances and we'd learn them together kind of thing. So I felt like on a on a good level with children. But yeah, like you say, I think with trauma comes some like attachment trauma. And you're kind of there as a trusted adult. You're someone that child can talk to. You're someone that child can go to for a hug. You can go, like I even had children kind of sitting on my laps on days when they were having a hard day, which in a mainstream school you don't you do not do. Um, whereas in this school, they just, they need to know what a um, caring and like trustworthy relationship is. And they need to know how valued they are because for some of them, it might not be their case at home. For some of them it is. Um and so, yeah, you, every day you're that person they see every day. Oh, she's always going to be there. Uh, if I'm having a bad day, I can go and speak to her. I can go and have a hug from her. She's my favourite teacher. She really gets me. She would always listen to me. But then if I was ever off sick, it was really hard because I'd feel really guilty. Like I've got children counting on me. 
and that child's going to be so upset when they realise I'm not there tomorrow. And some of the children could have really awful days because if you weren't there, because it's just out of the ordinary a little bit, that person that I'm counting on is not here. It, it was really tricky because you're kind of teaching them a little bit the fundamentals of life that they might not have already learned, you know, like the fundamentals children in mainstream schools might or might not already have. Um, and so, yeah, it does make it hard as well when teachers want to leave jobs because it is quite a tough environment to work in. So it's no wonder teachers might want to leave it for that reason. Um, but then also you've been a constant in a child's life and then it's hard for that child not to think you're going because of me. Or, or they see it's been a really hard term kind of behaviour wise and they're thinking, oh, have you gone because because it's been school's been really, really hard at the moment? Is, is it our fault? whose fault is it um mm. if you really if you really loved us if, if you really liked us you wouldn't go and that, that was really hard I think to making the choice to leave because it definitely wasn't because of the children at all why I left the job I think I just come to the end of my line with that way of working and was ready for a new kind of adventure but yeah definitely the attachment is quite hard for children with trauma so mm-hmm. I just think like maybe if you're if the people that listen ever come mm-hmm. into contact with children they're not used to it or they think they're not sure how to kind of um kind of like approach like yeah I don't know just one thing that was like I really really taken to other jobs was like learning the pace technique of playfulness acceptance curiosity and empathy and just kind of I just didn't realize at all like how how many children kind of go into a rage and actually how you can bring them out of that rage by being playful. Like there'd be times when children would like grab my arms or grab my wrists or something like that in like an anger. And I'd like turn into a cha-cha-cha dance and they just like laugh and you just kind of like bring them out of it by being playful okay. <laughs> or being like, are you, are you getting angry? Cause it's not chocolate cake for lunch today. Are you, are you getting angry? Cause mate, I feel a bit angry about that too. Like just lightening the mood a little bit. So I think, okay. Like being playful and, and being curious. I wonder, you, you seem really quiet today. I wonder if, if you're feeling tired perhaps, or I wonder if maybe something's going on before you came into school this morning, but I just want you to know I'm always here if you want to chat, kind of like just coming down to the level and... You're like replacing the mood almost. Yeah, and kind of just like modelling, modelling their, maybe like how they should like frame their mind kind of thing. Like, oh, I'm so, I'm really sorry you got hurt in that football match, that... I feel really sad that you're you're upset and crying, but like, let me know if there's anything I can do. I imagine you're feeling quite upset right now, so I'll just give you some space. But you let me know if you need anything. Just like really kind of understanding them and just coming down to their level. I just think I learned so much from that. It just changed the way I taught, and I just wouldn't teach without that anymore. I think just being really mm-hmm. and I yeah, guess almost it's like you're kind of guiding them if especially if it's hard for them to label their feelings to guide them and be like I th- I think this could be it might not be how you're feeling but you know could I be on the right tracks with thinking you know you're upset because of this like yeah maybe it helps them later down the line to recognize that again kind of thing yeah and it was good like to model to other children so you'd kind of say like if children were annoying each other you'd say I wonder if they'd like a little bit of space right now because by their face they're looking quite frustrated so I wonder if let's give them some space and it's kind of just like yeah modeling to those children like oh I didn't think about how his face looked his face looks angry maybe I should leave him alone kind of thing it just yeah you really were kind of developing the fundamentals of it 
Mm -hmm. And how did you find it when like the class size doubled or, you know, I think it more than doubled, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it did. It did more than double. I think because there are so many children with trauma and they're kind of more children are getting diagnosed now more than ever with different educational needs. So the class size did increase, but the teacher ratio stayed the same. Um, that was really tricky because, like I said previously, like you've got children with lots of different needs, lots of different needs, needing lots of different things and on a smaller ratio you could really really take the time to sit with each child and give them such quality time every day and really kind of dig into things that you think oh do you know what that child doesn't see themselves today whereas when you've got a bigger class and in each class you do kind of have children who are more challenging let's say and so sometimes they can take up a lot of your time because not because they need more attention or anything but just the safety aspect I found that I was um often dealing with children with really unsafe behaviors in order to keep the children safe and the teachers safe but it then meant that I couldn't attend to the rest of the class members and I'd have like another teacher with them but with maybe seven or eight in a class it's so hard to give them that really specialized teaching experience and to really listen to each of their needs when you've got eight children eight children in the mainstream school would be something but like eight children with all with EHCPs, educational healthcare plans, in, mm-hmm. in one room requiring such different learning styles, such different teaching styles. Like, yeah, it just became a lot more challenging because we had a lot of children in the end. But, and I think if the class sizes had stayed smaller, I'd have felt like it was a more beneficial. Mm. I, I think I, I could have stayed, but I think, yeah, with class sizes increasing, it was becoming more unsafe. And the school was just changing in other ways that just wasn't again the way I aligned with anymore and I think I wasn't doing as much good as I was when I first came because I was just felt like I was putting fires out and I wasn't teaching at all I was just trying to keep children safe and teachers safe and that wasn't the school I joined it was a very challenging setting Mm. and I guess there's different ways to getting it right but yeah I think that I I learned a lot Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah that served me for what it did and then onto onto another adventure I think Mm mm-hmm and looking back now having done a master's and having done your degree and then and obviously doing having been mainstream and having been in a more specialist setting if you could start again so you've just come out of your a-levels would you do would you do the same thing I think hmm. having this the kind of hindsight that you have now maybe it's tricky I think to become a teacher I definitely would have done primary education again because the only other option to become a teacher is such a short course of a PGCE or something like teach first where you're teaching on the job Mm -hmm. and going to uni like once a week kind of thing and I don't think that equips you enough to be well it it does equip you to be a teacher but I think from a three-year course you can't really compare the knowledge that you gain like I did gain a lot of knowledge in primary education just not for children with additional needs Mm -hmm. I think Perhaps I'd have tried to have get a pla- got a placement in an additional needs school. I guess experience is really good, but I don't know when I'd have found the time because, like I said in the last podcast, I have my heart condition pretty bad at university. So I'm not sure if I'd have been able to do much more experience than kind of what I was doing. Um, 
don't know, you know. I put you on the spot, I do realise You did, that. I'm kind of thrown a little bit, I'm kind of, because I think I haven't found, like, the dream thing I want to go into yet, there's things that have piqued my interest, I wanted to be a Key Stage 1 teacher, I was, I wanted to go and work in a different setting, I did that, I'd like to go and work in another different setting, but I don't think there's ever been anything where I'm like, I absolutely want to work in this. I think I would have loved some experience in an ASD base. That was what I really thought I wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have even said in the podcast last time, I really wanted to be a Senka at one point. Mm-hmm. And I'd always said that's what I wanted to do. Like after my master's, I wanted to become a Senko. But I think I've learned more and more recently. Senko's workloads is so um, high workload. They're also putting Senkos in jobs where they're Senko and teacher. And I think, mate, being a teacher is enough. What do you That's mean? That's a lot. <laughs> do another job on so. Um, so, yeah. And also it's a lot of paperwork and less children-y. And I love working with children. So I think Senko's on mm-hmm. hold for a little bit, I think. Um, because I literally want to play it in the playground at lunchtime. And I don't <laughs> think I can do that as a Senko. Can you not? I'm thinking um, Mr. Poppy... In the nativity. Oh, fully, like, hood on my coat, my arms are not in it. I'm absolutely <laughs> helicoptering around the playground. And I take games seriously, you know. Miss one it again at lunchtime. Yeah, I did. I play serious, guys, yeah? <laughs> I play to win. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if you're going to become a teacher, I honestly don't recommend starting that because you can never stop. I used to do races at playtime. I used to race the kids. And then every playtime would be like, come race us. Ugh. I want to go and have a tea break um <laughs> that's quite a hard standard to keep up <laughs> yeah that but I remember you being like so excited to go on the trips and stuff to like you know um like the cool playground um and being able to just kind of be a kid with the kids yeah and I think they need that they need like playful adults like adults yeah. that have the boundary like you know when it's enough I can't cross that line with with her but also like and this is going to love this joke kind of thing. And I think one thing, when I said I wasn't sure about having like a dream job, in in a alternate universe. Here we go. <laughs> I would have, I'd have my dream school. And my dream school would take children who mainstream schools do not suit their learning styles. Mm-hmm. I'd have relatively small class sizes as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be very like arts, creative, um yeah sensory based learning you know the lessons are interactive they're visual we're not writing in books we are maybe taking pictures of what the children are doing very child-centered child mental health first a bit like that last school I'd take bits from all the different schools you know but Mm -hmm. I'd make it very just not like core subject led so many schools are so like gotta focus on the English gotta focus on the maths yeah that's great but I was okay at English, I was okay at maths, and I've gone down the same path I was going to do if I was amazing at it, or probably awful at it. I just needed, like, a, I think mm. a C in English and maths to become a primary school teacher, so. Yeah, we talked about that last time, didn't we? Like, yeah, the sheer yeah. amount of GCSEs you have, um, sorry, like, most people have compared to what you did, which was yeah, absolutely fine, which was just five. five. Yeah, yeah, just five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even seeing things like there's something called forest schools where um, children yeah, go. Yeah, I hear a lot about this. Oh, it's just so child, child-led child learning. Like, they just lead, like, oh, I want to go and bake a mud pie. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to go and hunt for ladybirds. Like, I love that. I'm going to follow you. Where are we going after this? Like, 
yeah that's just that that will teach children so much to like to be a leader at five and to be mm. uh, exploring things rather than sat in a classroom doing maths. I'm not saying they're not important subjects they absolutely are but I think for some children like if maths doesn't go in your head if maths is not your subject I don't know if it will ever be so why <laughs> not make it fun and engaging and more on, on a level for children so that's sorry that's in my alternate universe if you want to oh, yeah. come if you want to come I'll like, make a sign up sheet <laughs> for alternate universe time sign up your kids we'll go looking for ladybirds and I'll race them at playtime um that's okay fun. I think you're gonna be <laughs> oversubscribed potentially hopefully uh, sure um so moving on to the future what's your five-year plan no I'm joking Christ. um so <laughs> married five dogs question. five okay <laughs> wow um that's a joke <laughs> what what's your dream job what job are you looking for next because you're currently job hunting and I know you have some kind of specific kind of roles and uh settings in mind mm. and you never know someone who's listening to this podcast might be able to hook you up know someone that knows someone i don't know you never know it's who you yeah. know do i literally need to just spiel my cv right here and there yeah absolutely uh. <laughs> <laughs> qualifications experience <laughs> the works but yeah it'd be good because i feel like also like potentially listeners of these po- of this podcast might be academics and researchers not just you know people with lived experience um so you know there's people from all walks of life is what i'm saying listening yeah. hopefully um who might know um i don't know i know you kind of look at what is it the tes mm, tes has, what's, has good jobs times what, educational what, supplement oh okay and um, that's and where got, most of the teacher jobs are advertised or something yeah pretty much and a lot of schools say that they are they only advertise on like the tes um oh, so that's okay. where i kind of focus my my looking for different things Mm -hmm. I've had a look at lots of different avenues I'd like to go down I would like to go and work in an ASD base at some point I'm not sure a mainstream or um I think I'd love to go and work in like an independent like it's its own ASD school because I think sometimes base like ASD bases or units can get a little bit sidelined in a mainstream school I wouldn't mind doing that Mm. though I think it's not for me right now I think after the last job, I'm looking for something like a little bit different. It was quite a challenging and physical, and I think, and I was I had to be very, very like attentive at twenty four seven. I think I'm just looking for something maybe just a little bit different to that right now. Um, but one thing I've been really interested over like the last couple of years is working in a hospital school. So that's um, a teacher that like a, a hospital that has like a school unit as part of the building. And children who are there for a long stay or their siblings go down to the classroom every day. Or you can go and teach um, on the wards, like at children's bedsides. And Mm -hmm. I'm just really interested in that. I think it's another way of kind of working with children with lots of different needs. I think, again, it takes the part that I loved about the last job. It's very child, mental health, health first learning kind of comes after that like I just really like building relationships with children and once you've kind of got that relationship and you kind of know they're on like a good wavelength that's when you have a good lesson because you've had a bit of humor they kind of think oh do you know what I don't mind this person and you can have like a really good kind of lesson after that rather than kind of going in right today's lesson is 
you know what I mean? That's kind of what I say when I keep saying I like the child mental health side first and then less than second. That's kind of what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just more suited to me. And I think also lessons have to be really creative and engaging when you're teaching children who can be quite unwell or their siblings. And I just think those are the lessons I love to create. I love to do like fun games, creative arts. Mm-hmm. Um and I also, also like, I guess it's kind of like short and sharp learning, isn't it? Because if they're not feeling well, they're not going to be able to learn for as long kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's also the kind of thing where you've got to cater to their needs, like even their their interests. I love doing that. And you can't do that for a class of 30. You can't find out what they're all interested in and do a piece mm. of writing on all their individual interests, like amazingly. Um, so, yeah, I think I also quite like the idea that it's kind of something different every day. I think my last school was was very tough because it was the same children with extreme needs every single day. And like you stay with them for lunchtimes and things like that. And it, it was really full on. So I think I'm looking for something just very, very different, but not a mainstream school. And I'm still just looking to gain as much experience as I can. So that's the plan. Hospital school. And if anyone is listening that owns a hospital school. and needs and needs needs, uh, just an outstanding teacher um that'd be me (laughs) (laughs) absolutely blowing your own trumpet there absolutely trying to Um, sell myself yeah um I think like when you first mentioned this kind of like concept and the different kind of setting like I definitely get how it would be interesting but I do also feel like I had like one main question in my head and I feel like maybe some listeners might as well in that wouldn't it be difficult if a child is very unwell or you have to adapt to you know children moving on or unfortunately you know being so ill that it's kind of an end of life situation like how do you think that would how do you think you would manage that because okay yes it's a less physical role in terms of the kind of level of like restraining and things you were doing but Mm. it's almost physical in a more emotional way yeah Um, Mm. I think that's a good question um I think I learned so much from my last job and I wasn't ready for a lot of it like I I couldn't have been ready but I just learned so much and I think that's something else that I'm like looking for is to again learn a completely different thing I think also working in this school I've just worked in and having children with such extreme trauma, like I have heard and have children with some just really, really like upsetting kind of backstories and things. So I think emotionally that has prepared me more than it did in a mainstream school for, and and, and there have been circumstances in the last school where things have happened and you think like, Oh no, like I wish that hadn't happened for that child, you know, like, so I think it would it would be another challenge, but it's not something that like puts me off. It's not something that I'd worry about. Mm-hmm. And it's almost the kind of thing like like with this this last school I've been in, I feel like I've made a good impact on their life, even though I was there for however long or I only taught them for a certain amount of time. Like I feel like I've gone, I've done I've done what I could do and I've kind of had a laugh with them, done some teaching with them and then yeah, move on. And you and remember if- the good teachers, don't you? Yeah, and I'd like to think I'm kind of that. And I think in a hospital school, again, I just want to just, I don't know, just try and be something that kind of helps hard times maybe even for some people. I think 
another thing I was thinking about with this hospital school is when I was unwell in my GCSE year, I had a hospital tutor come and she tutored me. Slightly strange lady. But I feel like if I was that for somebody else, you know, like I was out of school for a year. And I think if I had someone that was really kind of like jokey with me, lighthearted, wants to get to know me, wants to make lessons like more interesting in me, like I yeah. think that that can make such a difference in someone, you know, and I'd love to just. Also for yeah. them to look forward to you coming. Yeah. Like imagine that. Like That's what I like. Those are the bits I love about teaching. You turn up and you do like a really fun lesson. You have a good bit of humour and I just think. I'd love to be that for someone else. Like it was the part I loved about my last job. And I feel like, yeah, there'll probably be some really difficult days in a hospital school if I ever were to get a job in that. But again, I think as much as the last job was challenging in other aspects, this could be challenging in others, but I've learned so much from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also I feel like it was taking a toll on your mental health and your just well-being in general I don't know if it's worth kind of Mm. talking about that a little bit and that actually it was it was a decision to move jobs because it would you know you want to further your career obviously but also it was a healthy choice in that you had done so long somewhere and you felt that actually stepping into a different role would actually benefit you more yeah and I think kind of what I felt sad about is that like I loved the idea of the school um I loved it the first year I did it it really worked but the second year it just wasn't working for different reasons different things had changed it was a really intense job it became really really intense more intense than it was and I was just finding like it wasn't the the children or anything like that but just the kind of expectations, the demands on teachers, I was just finding I was getting home and absolutely exhausted. I could not do anything for the rest of the evening. I was finding I was spending weekends asleep. And I think I just realised at that point, like, as much as you love this job, is this job serving you anymore? Because it's actually like, it was just turning me into like this like dead person. I just had no energy I didn't want to socialise with people and I suddenly started to realise like it was really zapping me of my energy and as much as you love it, you can't continue in something that's like going to drain you out. And I think especially by the end of the term, I, I've i never been, I didn't think I was getting burnt out at all. And then the last week of term, I just got so ill. I was just so tired. And as much as teachers have lovely holidays, it's, it's some, and it sounds really, um, ungrateful because I'm so grateful for the holidays but the holidays just weren't enough in that job it was such a tough job and so yeah I just urge anyone that's absolutely zapped from their job that it's just it's not the be all and end all and I think as much as like I love that job and I feel like to an extent they valued me um that they'll replace you you know there'll be someone else and like especially with those kids there'll be someone else that they absolutely love as well yeah, like yeah. you can't stay for the for for that, and um, yeah, yeah, I exactly. Think, and, like not even like I wasn't kind of down because of the job. I was just more down because I was just yeah exhausted. Um, and just needed to get my social life back. My I, I've also realised since stopping that like, my skin's really improved. Oh, I'm happy <laughs> for a you. Bit of energy. I'm sleeping well. 
Um, yeah, it was a Absolutely tough job. I don't, blowing yeah. up. I don't think any teacher could do it for too long, but it was mm. a rewarding job. It sounds a lot like, like it's obviously it's never the children that are like they're not the issue. They're not the kind of thing that is the biggest struggle. It's the setting in which you are working with them in, and the structure in terms of um the staff and like leadership and things like that and when that changes how much the actual education and the like you know well-being changes as a result like you think it would like you're saying like how important it would be to be like child-centered but it sounds like i don't know 80 percent of the time it's it's more the environment that's letting them down or the staffing issues or like it's everything around them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the I thing. Is that, that makes sense. <laughs> that like the behaviors could, were, were really extreme in the last year that I worked there, but it's not by the children's fault at all. It's because mm. they've been put into a, hold on. I went from being in a class with three other kids to being yeah. in a class with seven others and now my teachers may be sitting with me a little bit less and I don't like that child because I had a fight with him in football last year. Like, I, yeah. it's just like the children were tougher, but it was not by their doing at all. It was more than management. And I understand management is a hard job in a school, but I think there comes a point when you need to think about the safety and also like ch- how the children getting on like how oh it's a bit it's more unsettled but also how are your teachers getting on you know it's it's a tough job you've got to look out for for everyone and I think schools are becoming very either like money led or yeah. very like assessment led and it's just I, I get that it's hard to leaving like yeah it's hard for them not to fall into that trap but when they are so constrained by like you said money and um you know Ofsted grades and grades of their pupils and things like but yeah you're right it should just be like actually the past few weeks you know things have been way more unsettled why is this let's drill down as to the source of this kind of thing it's crazy isn't it like Mm. yeah and I just I was just trying to find then like the statistic like the statistics are mad of like the teachers leaving oh really I was just trying to find it. I can't remember what it was. It was something like two in five teachers leave after the first three years of teaching or something like that. Really? So Is something that like like UK? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I just don't think it's like, like in so many different schools, you know, there's mm. so many pressures and I just think it's a big job. And something I wrote about in my dissertation was how like, especially in this job, I was coming in and I was being a teacher a therapist um I was like the, the medical person I was also like their trusted adult to come to to tell them anything really important like I was just covering loads of different jobs yeah for that child which whilst just, not focusing on any yeah. one of them and also just not even having the right training behind me to be that therapeutic person for that child you know like I'm really trying to be ther- like therapeutic in my approach, but I'm not a therapist. I- no. And I'm not sure how to deal with this behaviour, but I'm going to deal with it in the way I can. And yeah. Mm. So we have been chatting for over an hour and it's gone very quickly. Mm. And I feel like a lot of guests come on. They obviously are 
not to put you down, but they're promoting stuff. They're promoting books. They're promoting, I don't know, TVs, stuff, film stuff, uh, art stuff. Mm-hmm. I can what resonate, you... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've what got you... an album coming out in June. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> greatest hits. Um... <laughs> you do have one resource that you can plug. Yeah, I've got some teaching resources on on the test. You know, I love the test, TES. So if there were any teachers out there looking for different resources, there's things for like different lessons, homeworks and things. Then I have got um, a little teacher shop, I think it's called, on the TES website. Some free downloads, um, all very cheap resources. Um, Nice. Yeah, that is my plug. Amazing. I will make sure to link that down in the show notes for anyone that is interested. Thank you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and for chatting in what feels like an extraordinarily formal way rather than a FaceTime. <laughs> it does. Thank you for having me. And I guess I'll see you around podcast 160. Hope you have a good Christmas. Hope the family is well. Hundred and sixty. Can you, can you imagine? That is so far in the future. Oh. Just another 80 more. <laughs>